Stuff Podcasts. It was white with a kitchen that had warped. It had one light. There was no extractor fan. There were leaky aluminium windows. There was all of the wall cabinets were of different widths. That's Wellingtonian and keen DIYer Lisa Mackey talking to my colleague and podcast collaborator Joe Davis about the home she bought in 2018. You might remember Lisa from the first season of First Run. She jumped into the renovations on her first home, boots and all. And that's what the second season of First Run is all about. The heady, sometimes terrifying, often incredibly expensive world of doing up your first home. We're calling it Reno 101 and packing it full of tips and advice for the first time renovator. We all know Reno and DIY are New Zealand's most beloved pastimes. According to building consent applications, Kiwis spent nearly $2.2 billion doing up their homes last year. That's a mind-boggling amount, and it doesn't even take into account the many millions more spent on jobs that don't need consents, like fresh coats of paint or sprucing up the living room. Well, Kiwis will tell you they were born with a paintbrush in one hand and a can of Rosine black-white in the other, but the truth is we all started somewhere. I'm home to reporter Kylie Klein-Nixon, and over the next six episodes, Joe and I will go back to those basics, talking to DIY experts, serial and first-time renovators, as well as professional tradies and the odd celebrity builder, as we make our cautious way through the trips, traps and pitfalls of doing up your first home. Hi, I'm Joe Davis. Also in this episode, I talk to Stuff Business Editor Susan Edmonds about how much to spend and the danger of overcapitalising. Yeah, well, I think the cost of building supplies has increased quite a lot over the last year, and that will have flowed through to the cost of renovations. And I sit down with the nation's most famous chippy, Peter Wolfcamp, for some sage advice on where to start. An old saying about houses is good hat, good feet, right? That makes a good house. So strap on your tool belt, crank up the transistor radio, and grab a sledgehammer. We've got walls to knock through. But before that... Don't know your feet from your skirting board? Your fascia from your flashing, your dwangs from your doubles. Okay, I made that last word up. Still, there's a lot of jargon in the Renault world, and we're here to help you find your way through it. DIY enthusiast Glenn Cousins wants to help you speak the lingo. What exactly is a skirting board, moulding, and architrave? Well, I'm glad you asked. A skirting board literally skirts the floor. It's the narrow piece of wood that goes along the bottom of a wall to make a border between the walls and the floor. You see them every day, and now you know. Molding, as well as being what you find on three-day-old bread, is similar to skirting, but higher up, between the wall and the ceiling. Architraves go around the doors and windows. All these things, as well as being decorative, can cover up those little mistakes, or, as we DIYers prefer to say, character. If you think buying your first home as a young couple is tough, try doing it as a 40-something singleton. Then add teaching yourself to DIY with nothing but a good head on your shoulders and access to YouTube to help. That's what first home owner Lisa Mackey did. Joe Davis caught up with her to hear more about it. I am the proud owner of what I call the Berenpore Bistro. Uh, It's a kitchen with two bedrooms attached to it. Uh, I bought it about three years ago and it's... Uh, not what you would call a mansion. It's about 76 square metres 
And I have a little garden on the side that I've got raised vegetable gardens. I've got uh, a newly installed tin shed and I also have a garage. Wow, and that's your first time but it, and it needed some work when you bought it. Yes. How did, yeah, tell us about how you got started on that. Well, I always knew that I wasn't going to find the perfect house from the get-go. So I knew renovation was going to be on the menu for me. So when I was looking for houses to buy, um, I always tried to keep an eye on how I could modify the place. And one of the things I did was when I had my house inspected by a builder, I chose a builder who would actually come with me and I could ask on the spot, is that a load-bearing wall? Would I be able to do this? Would I be able to do that? And the thing that appealed to me the most about my little place is it's made of brick. It had a really decent-sized kitchen because I love to cook. And I noticed with modern houses, they seem to be shrinking kitchen sizes in the new builds, even though we've got quite a food revolution going on. But um, that was something really important to me, that I had the potential to have a great kitchen. And I knew that it was a good-sized house to be a beginner house. And what I mean by that is if I don't get it right, it's not going to be catastrophic. It's not like it's a two-story place and the roof's going to fall down or anything like that. So it's a good learner house. Good learner house and with solid, solid bones. Good bones. And what needed doing in the kitchen? Like what state was the kitchen in when you got there? I know that was important to you, so it was big enough, but how else was it? What did it look like? Well, it had actually been previously renovated. So my place was built in 1978 and the renovation, according to the newspapers that I found stuffed in the wall when I pulled the jib back, was 1993. And it was white with a kitchen that had warped um, from being wet. It had one light in the whole kitchen. There was no extractor fan. There were leaky aluminium windows. There was all of the wall cabinets were of different widths so the OCD in me just would look at these cabinets and be like they're not straight they're not flush so and the appliances were outdated it wasn't a practical kitchen the oven and stovetop were on a diagonal so there was a lot of wasted space uh, and it just needed a, a, a complete revamp really. All right and you took that on yourself which I think is amazing you know what what with what building background? Um, very extensive building background of having taken a drama class and as part of the practical side of that class you could either do costume design and making or you could do set design and building. So that is where I learnt to measure twice and cut once and got my hand around some of the basic tools and I will say that that was in about 1997 so that was the foundation wow. of my immaculate building skills. Um, but it all came back to you. Yeah, and I have to say a lot of video watching. I watch a lot of DIY videos. Um, I try to watch New Zealand-based ones because they use products that we can get and they're using the timber that we have and you know they know our climate problems. They might know also about leaky homes and things like that. So... Um, really tried to upskill myself by watching lots and lots of videos. And I think that gave me a lot of confidence, to, if not to do the work myself, but at least I no longer didn't know what I didn't know. So it meant that 
when I went into a hardware store, I could ask informed questions. I could understand when I was just being given a bit of a brush off answer, I would push back. Uh, and it also helped me project manage because I was able to understand, well, in order to tile, they need to have done X, Y, and Z. So you get a much better right. understanding of the flow of things. So the other thing that would happen when I would go into hardware stores, I would ask for a certain tool. And for some reason, because I was a female, they thought that I wanted the pink screwdrivers and the pink tool sets, which I just repulsed at. And uh, I usually go for the yellow stuff or if I can afford it, the blue stuff. But yeah, I stay clear <laughs> of the pink stuff. <laughs> That's fantastic. And what did you do with the kitchen? You you put in a whole new kitchen. So I wanted to, to see what I could do to find a kitchen secondhand that was in great condition that otherwise would have been going to landfill because that, I think, is just a crime. So I kept an eye on Trade Me and one particular kitchen came up in Levin that I had watched for about three months and it got to the point where... They had had it professionally removed and they were getting to the point of desperation. So the price was starting to come down, which I liked. And so I went out to Levin. I spent over an hour measuring all of the cabinets multiple times. Forget measure twice. I probably measured 10 times. Then I came home and I made little cutouts to scale of all the different cabinets and I made a, a you know, the cutout of my, the space that I had. And when I finally worked out that this kitchen would actually work in a completely reformatted way, um, I took the plunge and I bought it. Um, it had cost the owners who installed it $26,000 to install and I bought it for $4,000. Wow. And it, and it was a bespoke kitchen. It wasn't uh, one of the kit set ones and it had all the groovy soft closed drawers and all of that sort of thing that I was really looking forward to. But in the process of removing the jib in my conservatory, which was also added in 93, um, I found a little leak. And so I said to my builder, Tony, um, got a leak. Do you mind coming and checking it out? And what we thought was going to be an hour's job turned into about five days as we had to remove my entire conservatory floor all of the joists and everything because they'd used H1 treated timber that sat directly on wet concrete to uh, hold up my floor, which was chipboard, which got wet. So that, that was um, an unintended renovation. And you sound so confident in knowing how to do all these things. What would you advise for others just starting out on their renovating journey? I would start with something that you're going to be proud of, but it doesn't matter if you screw it up. So I would aim for something perhaps in the garden. If you want to try getting your hand around something structural, you could make an attempt at building, like I did, a green waste bin or potentially um, a little hut that you would store firewood in. Uh, if you want something a little bit more advanced, you could try some of the uh, sheds that you can get at Bunnings and Mitre 10 or Placemakers. Um, and that's going to give you some of the principles behind the building side of things, but it's also going to get you um, a, your head wrapped around the idea that you really do need the right tool for the right job. Yeah, and I think mm. you'll also learn your own temperament for making mistakes or if things don't go to plan. Um, you know, are you someone who likes to throw your tools around? Are you someone who swears and 
and storms around? Are you someone who's quite calm? That's um, Those are really important things to understand. And that's the inspiring DIYer Lisa Mackey, who learned all she knows from YouTube videos and whose best advice is to just give it a go. You're deep in DIY, but your paint can still be professional. Check out Resine for your reno project. Of course, the first tool anyone needs when you do a reno is money. I caught up with Stuff Business Editor Susan Edmonds to talk dollars and cents and how much we can comfortably spend. Hi Susan, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Uh, in the real world, money is a factor in renovation, so I just wanted to ask you, pick your brains, are there any hard and fast rules when deciding how much to spend on a renovation? I don't think there really are. I, I think it depends a lot on your circumstances because some people will look at a house and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to live here forever and just spend as much money as they like to get it up to become their dream home, I guess. But if you think eventually you might want to sell, then you have to worry about things like overcapitalizing because if you put more money into it, then you might eventually get out, then you may create a problem. And is there a way to work out whether you're overcapitalizing? I mean, how would you do that calculation? Yeah, I guess you can look at other houses around you that are similar or might be similar once you've done your work and see what they are worth and then see whether the amount that you're putting in will take you to the point that's beyond what they might sell for, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Okay, yes. So similar houses in your neighbourhood or... Yeah, you know, or in your region. Similar similar mm. features. But are you saying it's difficult to get people to quote at the moment? My experience is, yes, it's very hard to get anyone to do anything because everyone's so busy and it's hard to get supplies <laughs> in, so it's hard to get a quote, and then it's hard to get the work done. Yes, true. Mm. Those tradies are so busy since lockdown, you know, our first lockdown, of course. Um and do you think that has affected the cost of renovations? It has affected everything in the building. Yeah, well, I think the cost of building supplies has increased quite a lot over the last year, and that will have flowed through to the cost of renovations. Right. And that's because of difficulty getting them here or you know, production problems? I think both. There are major supply chain issues, and there are a lot of labour cost pressures as well. Okay. It, uh, uh, it all sounds a bit grim, but I guess if people have got money in the bank or they can borrow money and make it worthwhile, um, then... <laughs> and they can pin down a tradie, then we're going to do it. And has your team looked into whether some renovations have a better return than others? Yeah, we have looked at that a bit. Um, Carpet and paint are two things that can make a really big difference for a relatively small amount of money. And even small things like replacing light switches and PowerPoints can be quite surprisingly effective. Some people say that bathrooms and kitchens are a really good way to get a good return from your renovations, but my experience is that they can be really expensive. Um, But if you can just replace a few cupboard doors and maybe some handles, that can be a good way to get quite a new look without spending a whole lot of money. Uh, Have you done any renovations yourself? Yeah, we had a go at our last house and we got about halfway through and thought, this is way too big a job. (laughs) But fortunately, we're able to sell it kind of half done, which I think is not the best. Okay, <laughs> that's, not, that's your experience, but not your advice necessarily. No, not my advice. I think you should either sell a place ready to, to do or completely done, not kind of half done. Okay. Mm. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us, Susan. No problem. You've got your money sorted, you're inspired and revved up, but don't knock down that wall just yet. 
Joe got the skinny on where to start from the nation's most beloved builder, Wolfie himself, also known as the site foreman on the Block NZ. Hi Pete, thanks so much for coming on today. We're, we're delighted to have you on. You're probably one of New Zealand's best known builders. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, It's a real pleasure. Thanks, thanks for the invitation, really appreciate it. No worries. Well, I know you're often dealing with other people's projects and questions on your News Talk ZB show and, of course, also dealing with folks on the Block NZ. But yes. um, I know you've also done some projects yourself and I wonder whether you want to tell us about some of your own renovation projects. Yeah, absolutely. Look, after um, cause, you know, I'm getting on to you know, over 30 years in the industry, so um, there's, there's a few to choose from. But um, if I guess there's there's a couple that stand out. One was um, an opportunity back in around 2005, where I met a New Zealander who was living in the south of France, and they were running a, um, a chambre d'hote or something like that. A, you know. Uh, some accommodation and we met and they said oh we've bought the place next door and we want to renovate it why don't you come over and I thought oh yeah talk talk um, anyway uh, they were really serious so I went to France for about three months and worked there which was um, fabulous for the food and the, the wine and the, the the scenery but also really really interesting to work on something that was so old this was a, a farmer's house uh, in the village that was probably about 300 years old thereabouts um, so, you know, working on those old floors and old walls was, was really, really cool. Um, I love that. Amazing. I, I imagine you had to deal with other tradespeople. Do you have any language problems there? Or have you got some schoolboy French? Oh, no, um, I, I didn't do schoolboy French, which was unfortunate because I, I would have really enjoyed that. But um, the, and, and interesting there, you know, the construction sector around the world is, is often really mixed. So I worked with uh, Norwegian guys, I worked with Tunisian guys, with Croatian guys, with Danish guys, actually very few French guys. Um, but we're all trying to communicate with each other and my French is appalling. Right. Uh, but look, it, it all kind of worked out and there was obviously the owners who were fluent. So um, right. great time, really, really exciting project and, um, yeah, would love to go back. But I know you would have a lot of advice for people who are first time at renovating a home. They might have just bought it or what? have you got general advice for people there or where do people start? Um, where do people start? Well, that's a, in a sense, it's a really big question, but yeah. then I would kind of like to make it a really simple question, which is um, an old saying about houses is good hat, good feet, right? That makes a good house. So um, make sure that it is watertight, um, that it is, um, that you've dealt with all of the basics, right? And, and you know, the classic for Kiwis is let's buy the, the, you know, some sort of horrible old box somewhere and then we're going to get stuck in ourselves, sweat equity and work our way through it. And that that's, it's, it's what we did. Um, it's what thousands of people do. So I think when you start, you need to make sure that you've got the basics right, that, that there is, um, the house is basically weathertight, that you're protecting your asset by um, ensuring that there's no obvious leaks um, and, you know, the, and then get into things like drainage and, and so on and so forth. Um, thereafter, I think you start to look at more subtle or nuanced issues around what do I want the house to do for me? Because effectively, our houses are, at a very basic level, they are shelter for us. 
but then they they also should work for us. Yeah, because I know I'm just thinking of my own experience where um, I've got into a 1950s house that really could do with I insulated it first thing. Um, yeah, it had nothing under floor and the stuff in the ceiling was a bit ropey. But um, but now what I really would like to do is you know um, paint and. Um, pull up carpet and make the floors look you know that's what that's what appeals the the aesthetic stuff but I can see your point it's still a cold drafty house yeah and and I think the aesthetics are important you know we need to enjoy um, and and feel comfortable in the space that we live in and and I've done you know I've been lucky enough to have worked with a number of fantastic clients and great architects and designers to achieve some really beautiful houses um, and, and that's great, but I also increasingly want them to be houses that look after the people that inhabit them, that look after us. Oh, listen, so somebody who has perhaps moved into their first home, do you follow that um, maxim that they should live there for six months first to see, I guess they could do that very basic stuff of, you know, um, making sure it's warm with insulation but you know the people should just sit sit in the house for a wee while to see how warm it is you know how warm it is in the summer to to feel where the drafts are and so on or do you think people just get stuck in i think um it, it depends a little bit on whether it's a project that you're going to undertake completely on your own or whether you are going to draw into it various professionals um so you know anything beyond the most relatively minor of alterations to a house is going to end up triggering the requirement for um, plans and along with plans come consents and along with consents come license building practitioners so we we might head down that path in a minute but um, yeah look I I think there is a real advantage to being in the house for a period of time Um, we've recently completed a renovation on a project that that we bought um, and had to start work on it straight away and I guess it's a very steep learning curve when suddenly you you want to be in and underway with the project straight away uh, you haven't been in the house that much you, you don't know necessarily where the sun falls I mean you get a basic idea straight away but um, yeah there is an advantage but it's um, I, I, I think more than just being in the house you, you need to start your planning and thinking um, I think before you move in uh, or, or very quickly afterwards, in terms of what are my goals, what are you know, what's my budget, what can I achieve for that, and then given that for pretty much all of us our budgets are finite, how do I divide up my resources? You know, where do I spend my money, um, and then trying to stick to that budget, which in today's environment is actually pretty tricky. Do you have general advice for people and how much they should do themselves? I, look, I think the the fantastic thing about you know, Kiwis, is that we will have a go. Um, and that's awesome. The flip side of that is that, um, you know, building is considerably more technical and more complex than it has been in the past. Um, and so I think that we need to respect what professionals do um, and and be aware that, you know, some some work is better left to the professionals. The other thing is that there are some legis- there is some legislation around this. So, for example, the Building Act sets out what work can be done without a building consent and which work uh, requires a building consent. Now, there've been significant changes to that Act in the last twelve months. So, uh, there's a piece of legislation called Schedule One of the Building Act, which sets out the work that can be done without necessarily requiring requiring a building consent 
the proviso to that is that all building work done, even without a building consent, still has to be built in accordance with the building code. Uh, and, and people can tend to forget that a little bit. Right. So, um, you know, things like decks, pergolas, now, interestingly enough, um, a sleep out, for example, that used to be a 10 square metre one, now could be up to 30 square metres without necessarily requiring a building consent. Saying that, once you drill down through the detail, it's not quite as straightforward as that. Um, good on IMBI at the moment, who administer the building code. They've just um, released an online tool for working your way through that. So if you are interested in doing some work and you're not sure whether it requires a building consent or not, you just go to buildit.gov.nz and there is a tool there. And can I say too, you know, in terms of uh, if you are going down the path where you're going to be contracting licensed building practitioners, um, the great thing with the scheme is that it's it's open. So if you've got, you know, Joe comes to the door and says, hey, I'm an LBP and I'm, I'm going to quote for your work, you can simply search for their name. It takes five seconds on the register and you'll see whether or not the person is actually licensed or not. And are there... Well, I just wonder, um, Peter, the jobs that you would recommend people just don't touch mm. or you think you can, people can learn anything? I mean, obviously the things that require an LBP apart from that. Let's say you're a homeowner with lots of enthusiasm but not a great deal of competency, then um, sweat equity is the best thing you can do to help out your builder. Um, so... You know, I mean, look, on a building site, there is always rubbish. There is always things to be moved and cleaned up and, and so on. So, you know, if you were having some builders come in and do some work or some people coming into, if you did the, the basically the grunt work, right? If you got stuck in, made sure that the site was swept up, that the bins were emptied and so on, that's saving you money. I mean, watching your builder with a broom is costing you, you know, 60 bucks an hour or thereabouts. So why not be active on the site, come in and, and help out? And, um, you know, don't underestimate the, the power of a, a cup of tea and a scone to keep your builders on track as well. Hey, you've given us some great ideas. I wonder if you've got any just final words of encouragement for people new in this space. Being able to renovate your own property is, is a really exciting opportunity. And whether or not you've got um, a relatively modest budget or whether you've got a more extensive budget, I would like to think that our, our goal for all of us should be um, creating warm, dry, comfortable houses that look after ourselves. So I, I guess the challenge with a budget is always allocating it. And do you allocate it to the things that you see or do you allocate it in a sense to some of the things that you don't see but will be a real benefit to you for a long time? So I think things like um, doing a really good job of insulation, a really thorough job of insulation, um, a really good job of the ventilation and the extraction inside your house um, and basically heating. So I, I think those three areas are key components um, and, you know, the... The other stuff will kind of look after itself, but those elements will look after you. Right. you got to get those right. I think so. Start yeah. there. Okay. Hey, thank um, you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. So it looks like we've got some planning and consents to sort out before we get anywhere near a city chamber. I hate paperwork, but better safe than uninsurable. Speaking of which, in the next episode, we talk to Builders Crack spokesman Jeremy Gray about how to choose and work with a fully insured tradie or builder. We'll catch up with DIY mavens Shaden and Georgia Whips of Mooch Style, who've just sold their first DIY renovated home. 
and also a woman who has turned her 1910 cottage into a stylish villa. Until then, this is First Rung, Renault 101. I'm Kylie Klein-Nixon. And I'm Joe Davis. Shout out to our editor, Jack Price. And thanks also to our sponsors, Razine, New Zealand made paint for New Zealand made homes. You can find First Rung on all the podcast platforms and we really want to hear how your Renault is going. So drop us a line at homed at stuff.co.nz. Happy renovating!